0: Well, good morning again. I'm glad to be able to come to you via internet and uh, share a message with you. Um, We are actually changing sermon series. We're in a new series and I said to Jessica, I'm ready to go back to the Old Testament. We've been in the New Testament for over a year. And uh, I'm itching to get back into the Old Testament. So we're going to do a study on the life of Joseph, not Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, the other Joseph. So we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Genesis chapters 37 through 50, which talk about the um, adult life of Joseph. So uh, to begin with today, I'm going to share a story, an illustration with you. All the ground checks for United Flight 232 were complete and cleared. 298, that is the number of passengers that were nestled into their seats, hearing the familiar speech about seat belts and exits. Captain Al Haynes, a 35 year veteran pilot for United Airlines, brought the DC-10 into position for another routine flight. Layover in Chicago, and the final destination, Philadelphia. Minutes later, the plane comfortably leveled off at 37,000 feet. The flight attendants were already servicing the passengers, most of whom were reading, working, some even napping. From all appearances, everything looked normal, predictable, stable. But at exactly one hour and seven minutes after takeoff, to quote many of the survivors, all hell broke loose. The number two engine mounted high on the tail suddenly made a resounding boom. The flight panel immediately showed that the engine had failed. Its hydraulic system ceasing to function. That normally would concern the captain, but not alarm him because every DC-10 is equipped with three independent hydraulic systems so that a failure of one would not necessarily disable the plane. Truth be told, over the entire plane, there existed only one small vulnerable spot to these three independent hydraulic systems, a four-foot square space located toward the tail section where all three hydraulic systems converged. The odds of anything going wrong in that small target area were calculated at a billion to one. It had simply never happened. But on July 19, 1989, the odds were against those who were aboard flight 232. At 3.09 PM, the pilot and crew experienced total hydraulic failure. Ailerons, rudders, flaps, elevators no longer functioned. Controlling the plane became a living nightmare. And if that wasn't bad enough, the brakes weren't working, nor the on-ground steering, so if they did manage to land, they didn't know how to bring the plane to any kind of controlled stop. Over the course of the next several minutes, the captain and crew assessed that they could turn right slightly and direct the plane by varying the thrust of the remaining engines. They turned toward a small airport in Sioux City, Iowa and managed to delicately maneuver the crippled craft towards the ground. The right wing touched the ground first, which sent the plane cartwheeling over the ground and bursting into flames. When it was all over, 111 people died, but 187 lives were saved. When the National Transportation Safety Board presented the findings from their investigation of the cause of the disaster, they pointed to the fan disc in engine number two, which exploded sending shrapnel ripping through the tail section of the plane, severing the hydraulics lines that all were isolated in that four-foot section. But the investigation did not stop there. Because the fan disk for a jet engine is so specialized, there were extensive paper trails that led investigators back to the exact igna of titanium from which it was made and the forging process. It was determined that the process performed years before, led to the fatal crash of flight 232. You see, when parts for jet aircraft are forged, Molten titanium is subject to hammering force and intense pressure that is almost unimaginable. No less than 50,000 tons of pressure is is exerted on the liquid metal. And the purpose is to eradicate any trace of gas bubbles that might be trapped inside. In the report that was issued, it was found that the processes used at the time left a tiny amount of nitrogen in this particular piece of titanium from which the disc was created. Microscopic pockets were formed inside the titanium that would eventually lead to metal fatigue and the disintegration of the fan disc. It took 15,503 takeoff and landing cycles before that happened. But the minute, almost invisible flaws present in the formation of that fan disc eventually became a deadly defect. Now, what's the moral of this story? Why am I telling you this story when we're talking about Joseph in the Old Testament? Well, flaws in the formative stages, even small ones, can lead to disaster later. How many times has this played its way out in families? We've all learned a new word in the last three or four decades when it comes to families, and the word is dysfunctional. Flawed parents act out of their own misguided conclusions and inabilities to deal with their emotions while raising their children. But it doesn't end there. One of the common dynamics in dysfunctional families is that the children grow up and repeat the same patterns that they saw in their own mom and dad. Each generation adds one more link in the growing chain of pain that seems unbreakable. Unless someone recognizes what's wrong and they deliberately reject the examples played out before his or her eyes and choose to follow the ways of God instead. It's hard to live for God and do what is right in a dysfunctional family, but it's not impossible as the focus of our study this morning makes triumphantly clear. Take a journey with me, beginning today, that will continue for several weeks to come, tracing the ups and the downs of a man who was born into a very dysfunctional family, but stands out as one of the Old Testament great men of faith. His name is Joseph, and his story occupies Genesis 37 through 50 and that's chapters. Today in our teaching, I want to set the foundation for this sermon series. So we're gonna do a lot of um, background. I wanna share with you some of, of the observations about Joseph's amazing story. So let me point out a few key details about Joseph and where he fits into the Bible. First, Joseph's story is the longest in Genesis. Now in the book of Genesis there are eight main characters who illustrate how faith functions in our relationship with God. He is one of those eight. And the most important account in the book of Genesis is that of Abraham who rises as the giant of faith in the Old Testament. But Joseph's story equals Abraham's in the number of chapters. They both get 14 chapters each. But it's actually 25% longer than Abraham's. So it's obvious that the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to miss the message that the life of Joseph has for each one of us. The second thing that I want to point out is that the life of Joseph is the greatest and clearest picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So across the centuries, theologians have noted the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Both were innocent. Both were chosen and beloved by their father both forgave those who sought their ruin and in the lives of both Joseph and Christ it was the wicked plot of those who should have been the most likely to accept them that ultimately led to the salvation of all who would come. There's something remarkable about this man who was faithful in the small things and saw God make him ruler over many things. We're actually going to learn a lot about our Lord as we study the life of Joseph because of those parallels. The third thing I want you to note is that Joseph experienced the powerful truth of Romans 8, 28. It's a picture of the providence of God working in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So what we'll see as we walk through the details of his life is how God used the small things, that uh, those things that were on the surface, those things that looked insignificant. He used those to order circumstances in a way that Joseph would be raised up to a position of power that would allow him to save millions of people from starvation. What looked like simple circumstances were taken by God and used to turn the tables over and over and over again. Joseph, Joseph's colorful coat played a role in what happened. So did the passing slave traders. There was the happenstance of being bought by Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Egypt. And the wild coincidence of sharing a cell with the cupbearer and baker of the king of Egypt, one of whom uh, becomes the means by which Joseph eventually gets an audi- audience before the king. All these things were happening in his life for good. When things are happening in our life, good or bad, we seldom realize that a series of effects are being created by God. And as we study the life of Joseph, we'll become more aware of how God is often at work when we're least aware of it. Number four, Joseph shows us faithfulness to God no matter what. Let me show you what I mean by giving you a few insights to the opening verses of Genesis 37, which brings us to our scripture passage for today. Genesis 37 verses 1 through 4. And this is what it says. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now talk about dysfunctional families. The Bible cuts to the chase immediately by depicting the tension in this dysfunctional home. But as it usually is in dysfunctional families, this little picture here is just the tip of the iceberg. Joseph's family was so unbelievable that it was made, if it was made into a soap opera, no one would watch because it would be too unbelievable. He had three stepmothers, ten stepbrothers, one real brother, and a stepsister all living in the same home with him. His father, Jacob, though generally a good man, embraced the polygamy that was common in the day, which opened the door to jealousy, backbiting, insecurity, and almost constant conflict among his wives. Now Jacob was also a passive parent whose lack of involvement and leadership brought incredible pain and confusion to his family. Joseph's brothers took turns being brutal conniving, and openly immoral. Sounds like something Jerry Springer would want on his show. Growing up in Jacob's family was definitely no picnic, but amid the infighting and blatant sin, the bad examples and emotional manipulation, there were some spiritual lessons that s- struck the heart of this seeking young Joseph, and it profoundly shaped his life for the future. So let's take a, few, a look at a few of those spiritual lessons that happened throughout Joseph's young life that really shaped him into the man that he became. So let's look at some of those childhood lessons. First spiritual lesson, God makes himself known to the humble who hunger after him. That's what Joseph learned. In Genesis chapter 32, we read about the time when Jacob, Joseph's father, hastily divides his family and flocks and sends them on ahead of him while he stayed back to face the sins of his past. Reports were told that uh, the long, angry Esau, Jacob's brother, was bearing down on his location with 400 soldiers. So the next morning, Joseph saw his father come limping into camp to lead his family to meet up with Esau. And he heard of how his father had wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night. And how when he finally submitted to God, he was blessed and got a new name from the Lord himself. Joseph's father had been touched by the Lord himself and was changed for the remainder of his life. So Joseph understood the lesson fleshed out in his own father's experience that God is real and he makes himself known to those who humble themselves and seek after him. He blessed those, He blesses those who realize their own brokenness and guilt and long for God more than anything else. Imagine the imprint that this made on the young Joseph. Another spiritual lesson he learned in his youth was that God is at work around you all the time Genesis 35 tells of another spiritual lesson when Joseph was 13 years old. His father took the whole family to Bethel where he pointed to the very spot where he had his first personal encounter with God. Years before running for his life again, Jacob lay down and slept on the ground where he began to dream about a great ladder which came down from heaven and touched earth with angels ascending and descending. God was letting Jacob know that that more was going on than he could actually see or calculate. Joseph heard his father speak of this dream and this covenant relationship that began right there and then between God and himself. Then his father called them his children and wives to enter into that same covenant with God himself as he built an altar to God at Bethel. This could have been the turning point for Joseph in his life. I I like to think that it was. As he stood on that hallowed ground and saw the passion in his father's eyes as he built that altar before God. One thing's for certain, Joseph learned a very important spiritual lesson that day that God is at work around you all the time, even when you're sleeping. Another spiritual marker uh, or lesson that uh, Joseph learned was that God has a purpose designed specifically for you. Shortly after the Bethel experience, there were three deaths in Joseph's family. And the first death was Deborah, who, who uh, passed away and was buried under an oak tree at Bethel. Deborah had been the nurse to Joseph's grandmother, Rebecca who had died years before. But with her passing, the whole story of Isaac and Rebecca's godly life was retold again. The second person Joseph lost was his own mother, Rachel. Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. This loss brought home home the uncertainty of life and the importance of making the most of it. The third blow to the family came shortly after this, when Isaac, Joseph's grandpa died and was buried where Abraham, Sarah, and Rebecca had been buried. Again, the unique role Isaac played in God's purpose was brought up as they talked about the faithfulness of his life. Through, Though Joseph was... Um, In a dysfunctional family, uh, and there was a mess going on at all times, the legacy of those who had gone before him was unmistakable. Joseph stood in the long shadow of many godly people. Now I'm sure Joseph wondered what God might have prepared for him as he chose to follow in the footsteps of those faithful servants of God. So these spiritual markers combined with the lessons that Joseph picked up in his early years helped him break the cycle of dysfunction and he became one of the great heroes of our faith. So the question today is how can we like Joseph break the cycle of dysfunction in our lives and become heroes of the faith? How can we prevent repeating the same mistakes that we saw happen in our own formative years? Now, in order to answer today's question, I want to look at a few suggestions from Joseph's examples. So, how do we overcome difficulties? First, we acknowledge God's sovereignty. As we study the life of Joseph, we'll see that he believed in one simple truth. God is always in control. And as we study his life, that is going to be a prominent message that we receive. God is in control. Joseph understood that every circumstance in his life happened by either the initiation or the permission of a loving God. Decades later, at the end of his life, Joseph acknowledged this conviction to his brothers when he said, you meant it all for evil against me, but God meant it for good. He believed that God was for him, not against him, and that conviction kept him going when nothing else made sense. Another way we can overcome difficulty is by choosing responsibility. Viktor Frankl, who who was humiliated and tortured and dehumanized in a Nazi prison camp, made this discovery when he said, the last of all great human freedoms is to choose one's response to any given set of circumstances. The easier, more popular route is to use your circumstances as an excuse for personal sin, dysfunctional patterns, and foolish behavior. Awful things have been done to some of us. And the consequences have been hard. And I'm not belittling anything that anyone has gone through. I'm simply saying that the phrase, you don't know what I've been through, has become the launching pad for all kinds of ungodly behavior. Joseph didn't let himself be a victim. And if anyone should have been claiming the victim card, it's Joseph. But he chose to break the cycle. He took responsibility for a new way of life. A third thing that we can do to overcome difficulties is take a long look. This is especially important for parents to remember. The course of our actions that we choose today may affect our children and our grandchildren and even our great-grandchildren way down the line. Jacob's mistake had tragic long-term effects on his family that played themselves out in Joseph's life. But Joseph chose To take the long look. Another thing that we can do is look for spiritual lessons. This is something that Joseph was great at. God is always up to more than we can see but he leaves clues all along the way to help us out. And finally we need to remember that there is no growth without struggle. God uses every trial to purify and strengthen our character. Just as the metal used for precious parts on aircrafts that goes under tremendous pressure and heat to to purify and strengthen it, we too, as Christians, will be subject to the purifying pressure and strengthening heat of trials. I want to close with 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, which says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I'm really excited about this series and all that we're going to learn from the life of Joseph and I can't wait to be back with you all next week as we look at A dream that Joseph had that made his brothers hate him even more. So come back next week and we'll talk about that dream. We love you and we miss you. We're happy to be in California, but uh, we look forward to being back with you next week. So may the peace of the Lord be with you. Love one another. Be good.